Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. We are at the interview part of the show. Uh, today we have uh, a renowned author named Alan Orloff, and his newest book is called I Know Where You Sleep. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure, Alan. Thanks for having me. So, you know where I sleep. Um, I haven't seen you. <laughs> <laughs> I like to stay in the shadows, you know. <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess. So you've got quite the history of, of writing here. Now, um, how did you get into writing? Where did it start for you? Well, that's a great question because as a kid, you know, in high school, I hated my English classes. Just, I never read all the work that was assigned, the, you know, the so-called classic novels. And I would prefer to read, um, you know, science fiction. I read a lot of Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein. And, um, you know, I, I'm not sure I finished any of the novels that we were supposed to. Much to the consternation of my father, who was an ex-English teacher. <laughs> so, I mean, I was always really a, kind of a numbers guy. And the thought of writing just didn't appeal to me at all. In fact, I think I went through college without ever having to um, take an English class. You know, I was an engineer. So, you know, I did some engineering for a while. I didn't much like that. I went back to school for a business, um, an MBA. And again, you know, we never had to write anything, certainly nothing creative. So no fiction at all. Hmm. Fast forward some number of decades, and I, I remember I turned to my wife and said, you know, you know, Janet, I think I'm going to try to write some fiction. And then I had to pick her up off the floor after she fainted. <laughs> and she was like, okay, all right, sure, you know, go ahead. And I started with um, some short stories. Being an engineer, I sort of did a proof of concept kind of thing. So I wrote a few short stories, and um, they didn't stink too badly, which was good. So I took an adult education class at, um, through our local um, board of education, whatever it was, through the schools. And the teacher I had was Elaine Rako Chase, who's a, a published author. And she was encouraging about, I guess we had to write a story as part of our assignment. <laughs> and, you know, it didn't stink too bad. 
she said, well, you know, you've got to lose the 50 semicolons you have in the first three pages. <laughs> but aside from that, you know, there's some potential here. So I finished that, that little class. I took some workshops at the Reiner Center in Bethesda. And, you know, I didn't suck. So I took that to be an encouraging sign, and I kept working at it, working at it. And, um, you know, you're, you're a writer, John's a writer. You guys know it takes kind of a while to sort of get the hang of writing fiction. So I wrote some no, yeah. not-so-great manuscripts. My first manuscript is buried underneath, uh, six feet under the backyard in an asbestos-lined container, so it's no harm to <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, that's just. Then, but, but that's interesting because you're a numbers guy and technical, and you didn't really get into the, um, let's say, the structure or the, uh, you know, the the discipline of writing technically through a class of English when you were in school, but you still had a creative part of you that wanted to write. So. When, where, when was it that you gained confidence enough to think that, well, I, you know, my story is good enough, and I'll develop an ability to to learn to write better. But so, so when was how, how like how did you get that? I don't know confidence. Uh, Alan, when I get there, I'll let you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think like, you know, my, like many writers, you know, you write something, you're like, well, I don't know, is this any, is this any good? I don't know. It's so you know, one of the biggest things I think I've discovered since I started writing fiction more seriously is how subjective it really is. You'll send, you know, you'll have one reader read your manuscript, and they'll be like, you know, you've done better work. And I'd say, well, thanks, mom. <laughs> uh, but and then the next reader would be like, this is, this is great, you know? And, you know, one of the skills I think most writers need to develop is whose advice to listen to and whose advice to ignore. So, so yeah, so, I, I mean, sometimes you'll know when you've written something good, but for me anyway, most of the time I'm like, yeah, could be good, but I don't know. Yeah, ongoing process. It, it's, yes. it's kind of interesting. Um, so now you write fiction stories. Do you have a particular place where you get the ideas for your stories, or is it just is is it just something that comes to your head one night, or where does it where does it develop with with you? Yeah, well, I think each idea sort of comes from a different place. There's no like one set. It's not like I go down to the corner store and say, you know. Give me a six pack of ideas. I got some extra time this week. You know, make it make it a dozen. I got you know. Yeah. I'll write them. I um, you know, sometimes I'll be in the shower and I think of an idea. Or I'll be watching the news. Or I'll be uh, you know, I'll see something going on at a store, or you know, my the novel that came out before I know where you sleep is Pray for the Innocent, and I got the idea. I woke up at 4 a.m. one night. I was at Sleuth Fest, actually, which is a crime fiction uh, conference down in Florida. And I woke up at 4 a.m. I had the idea fully formed in my head. It was the freakiest experience I think I've ever had when it, comes, when it came to writing. Because it was a pretty convoluted plot. But the whole premise, boom, just 
flew into my head and it was great. Unfortunately, every morning I wake up now without an idea, I'm a little bit disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. The peak is done. It's done. It's over. That's that's interesting. So you get the whole idea all formulated. Um are the characters part of that as well, or do you have to kind of work and develop those into the story? Yeah. Well, I mean, having the whole idea pop into my head was sort of a one-off. Right. That's more right. the exception. I think, uh, you know, John, I know you, you Alan, you write mostly um, uh, true, true crime stuff, right? Right. It's all, it's all nonfiction yeah. stuff, yeah. Right. I know, John, I don't know if it's the same for you writing fiction, but I generally start with, and it's, it's hard to say whether I start with the characters and then the plot evolves from them, or sometimes I have the plot and then I work on the characters to kind of fit the situation. It's sort of an iterative process. You know, first yeah. you work on the characters and then and then the plot comes out and then, okay, the plot's a certain way, so the characters have to be a, kind of maybe a little different. Yeah, and there's sort of like this moment or this idea, I think, that, ignites it um you know and the more sort of solid that idea is like when you said you woke up in the, in, in the middle of the night and you have this idea which is just amazing you know th and then you kind of build everything out based on that and sometimes that idea mm -hmm. can be a plot thing or it could be a character or it could be a a moment but it feels like you're always like starting with this nugget of whatever it is and building out um yeah. from that right. yeah that's a good idea because some you're right Sometimes it's a, it's a plot twist or a plot, uh, you know, um, inciting incident that sets a story in my head. Other times it's like, oh, this is just a great character. I'm sure I can come up with a good plot. Right, yeah. Get this guy, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, see, because I find that interesting because w with me, I, I don't really get to pick my characters. I don't really get to pick on on who they are and how they how they go through the story or what they've done. Um, I try to figure out best what they, you know, why they have become what they have. But so, so when you have a character, like a lot of these fiction writers, like, like both you guys that we've talked to over the last while, a lot of them say that the characters are like their children. They're very close to them. Um, is, is that something you feel, Al? I would hope not, because I, I sure do put a lot of crap on my characters' heads. <laughs> I think my kids have to go through that, sort, that turmoil and that angst. Yeah. Um, but, but you're right, Alan, because I've heard a lot of people say that, um, you know, the characters speak to them, and the characters run off and do things, uh, you know, that they hadn't, that the writer hadn't thought of. And I always go back to a quote, I think it was from maybe Jeff Deaver. He said, you know, I had a character once who tried to do something I didn't want him to do, so I killed him. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there you go. So, that, well, yeah. Yeah, I, think, I think that sort of is a strength, that whole, like, the character speaking to me. I know what, what's meant by that, but, um, you know, there's something about the way you've built the character that's driving them in one direction or another. But sometimes when people say that, I think they actually might mean this character's, like, speaking to them, which is a little, that's a little different. That's a little weird. <laughs> My characters don't just speak to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to believe that. I like to believe that I'm the one in control, pulling the string. Mm. Right. 
See, that could be your next story. Maybe the maybe who you're writing about is in control. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, well, no, it's just it's interesting. So, do you? It's, so, do characters come from people you've met? Come across sort of uh, maybe in a coffee shop, in a store, or um, relatives, or something like that, or are they just out of the blue, complete? I think that often they are sort of amalgams of various people I've met over the years. You know, typically um, they'll have one, maybe one predominant characteristic that I want to focus on. Um, but I, there's no one, I mean, I, I don't think that I've ever based a single character on a single human being. In my very first book, however, there was, um, there was one guy who sort of was a cross between two people that I, that I knew. My, I had this, um, you know, we called him a cousin, but I'm not sure how or if he was really related to our family. And he was a diminutive, diminutive guy. And we saw him like at the Jewish holidays when we would get together. And we'd pick him up and you know, we'd take him over to our, to our dinner. And he was, I loved this guy because he would always laugh at all of my jokes. And I was maybe, you know, in my early teens. And he always smelled very heavily of aftershave. And it wasn't until years later that I realized it wasn't aftershave I was smelling. It was, it was booze, oh. and he always was so friendly and always had a big smile. So I based one of my characters on him. I thought it was, it was pretty funny. Yeah, I found that interesting. I know we had J.D. Horn on, and he said that uh, if you ended up in his book and he didn't like you, uh, you would be a person that he would kill. <laughs> So, I, I just I can never get enough of fiction writers because it just seems <laughs> so far out. Whenever pathological, I, yeah, it's just it's yeah. just crazy. Try hanging out with them at a convention; you'll get enough of them. Oh, oh boy! <laughs> yeah, uh, you know uh, that'd be scary. Uh, that so. Do you do you, do you get influenced by other writers, or are you the type of person that doesn't read what other people are doing? You stay away from uh, other fiction writers and just focus on what you do. I mean, I I try to read um, a lot of other writers, and I have to I have to probably preface that by saying I'm probably the least well-read writer you might have met because as I as I mentioned. I never read the classics. I don't have any. I don't really have any foundation of some of the old, you know, the masters or the classic novels that I think a lot of the writers do. I mean, if you, if you correct me if I'm wrong, John, but if you have an English degree or an MFA or something, <laughs> you've read and studied a lot of, you know, some of those writers. Yeah. And my education is mostly, uh, you know, Stephen King and Dean Koontz, who are great writers. But Absolutely. I think I have, a, I have a different foundation than a lot of other writers. Yeah, I, I mean, think. I think I, I think it's interesting because I, I think it's just, um, I mean, there's usefulness to having all those, you know, mm-hmm. you know, in your in your I guess toolbox or whatever you want to call it. You know, I I think in terms of trying to. Um, I'm not sure that reading the great writers always makes people great writers. I think it makes them 
good thinkers, perhaps, but I don't know. I mean, it's I love because you know I, I teach English too, and your point about getting high school students to read. I mean, Alan. I mean, it's like not all that different, even worse today because <laughs> now we have Netflix. Like, you know, and so you got to yeah. think about what people are reading, and um, you know, at the same time, I have an affection for the classics because that's what I was sort of weaned on in some way. So anyway, um, I think it's interesting. Yeah. I don't think there's one way to do it, though. I guess no, no. I mean, in some respects, I think my education is lacking for not having read those. Yeah. But for some reason, I gravitate towards most of the um, more, well, maybe not now, but more of the modern writers. So here's a, here's a bit of irony that will expose my ignorance, John. You might appreciate <laughs> this. So, you know, I, I read a lot of science fiction and horror, but it wasn't until my 20s when I was working in outside of Boston that my boss came up to me and said, look, uh, you know, I know you read a lot, but have you ever read this Private Eye series that takes place here in Boston? I'm like, oh, no, that's, that sounds great. So, of course, that was Robert P. Parker's Spencer series. So I read that and thought it was just incredibly, you know, awesome. I, I try to pattern a lot of my writing today after kind of Spencer. And then, you know, some years later, I went back and I read, you know, Dashiell Hammett and Ross McDonald, and I'm like, it's these guys are just ripping off Robert B. Parker. Yeah. But I think that's kind of, um, I think that's good. Um, I'm, I'm more in your side than someone like uh, Copenhaver here because um, being autistic, I stayed away from a lot of that and started late. And a lot of the classics... I've uh, come to know more recently, so it's not something I grew or was taught as well. So I'm sort of in that boat as well. It's not. Um, yeah. um, so it's. Po I think it's possible because isn't isn't the idea and the story uh, the most important to you, or is it more about the uh, you know the the technique? Well. For me, I mean, my I would have to say that my prose is very pedestrian. Again, maybe it's because I didn't pay attention in English class as a kid, or I didn't take the courses, or I didn't really flex some of my early writing muscles very much. So for me, it's you know the the characters and you know the dialogue I, and sort of. I mean, I, I think my strength is more in the in the dialogue and the story than the actual prose. Honestly, right. So, if if you equate prose with technique, then yeah, I mean that's that's some things I probably need to work on. Right. Well, you know, but I think that's I think you see that in all aspects of art, uh, even in music. I mean, there's classical music and there's pop music, right? And of course, isn't it the same sort of thing? Uh, there can be a lot of technique, but there can it's more about the idea or the uh, presentation of the of the idea. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, no, yeah. that's a good good analogy. I know for me, my goal is not to uh, impress the reader with my wizardry of the English language. I and will unabashedly say my goal is to entertain when I write. I'm not really trying to, you know, a lot of a lot of writers are much better at teaching the reader something as they entertain or whatever. Me, I'm just trying to offer my readers some escape is fun, basically. 
You know, I mean, so often, Alan, um, we as a culture have put a certain value on certain things and, and then make a hierarchy out of them, which is just all kind of, frankly, nonsense. I mean, crafting a great plot, achieving great dialogue, that's all, you know, a technique. Um, you yeah, know, I, yeah. it's, it's interesting how we sort of create these value systems about it. I think it's, I mean, from my standpoint, it's all technique and it's all, um, it, it, it all takes a le- level of skill and a le- level of study, but it's just interesting how we sort of associate, you know, we create these little pockets, these little sort of like pockets of, of types of literature or whatever, like the literary novel or the you know, thriller novel or that kind of thing. But really there's not, these are sort of commercial inventions and anyway, you get this yeah, sort of maybe, idea that. But John, but John I'll, I'll point to your book, Dodging and Burning which was a great book, great book. It had all the aspects. Of the, it was very entertaining, yes, very entertaining, and the story was great, and the characters were great. But it also had that depth of addressing some of the social issues of the time, which I think is terrific. And, I, you know, it's something I would strive for, but I don't know that I've really achieved that yet. So I think, I think you know, if you want to use the term more literary, I think your your book was more literary than many other uh, mysteries that I've read, and that's a good thing. I mean, it's it adds that extra depth to it. Well, perhaps that's where some of the um, some of the educational points would help out. It gives you more, um, as John said earlier, tools in your toolbox. Um, mm-hmm. But do do okay. So this is this is important too. So do. Do people that um, review your stuff, um, does that matter to you? Do, do having different types of reviews, good, bad, and all that, matter? And does it matter what other writers say about you? Well, I think, given the choice, I prefer the good reviews over the bad reviews. <laughs> 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 it always seems that the good reviewers have... Have a lot more, have a lot better judgment than the bad reviewers. Right. That's just to be. They know what they're um, talking about. You know, I I probably have less ego, less investment in trying to appease the reviewers than many people, and I'll explain why. I don't consider myself to be. I mean, I'm not to say this, but I've never. You know, many writers I know have always wanted to be a writer. It's their identity, right? Mm-hmm. Me, I, since I came to this lately, and this is my second or third career, I never really thought that I would be, I mean, it's not something I pointed to or strive for for that long to become a published writer. So I don't expect to get good reviews. I'm just, you know, it just it's just weird. I just... It is what it is. I mean, I like good reviews, sure, um, but I don't like you know. Like I said earlier, it's it's so subjective that somebody might love your book and somebody might hate your book, and you know, hmm. that's up to them. Yeah, I Does sort I answer your question. Yeah, well, sort, science, sort of. I, I, no, I I sort of agree. I understand that. Like at first, I was all concerned about ratings, and then after a while, it it now it it doesn't matter so much, but. Um, but there is a point to where um, if another reader um, that you're aware of reads your book and says something good about you or maybe bad, does that, 
is it something you look for, or is that does does that? I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like I, um, um, yeah, no, I think, I, yeah, no, I, like I said, I'm trying to entertain. And if I have, you know, 80% of my readers say, this is great. I was entertained, you know, four stars or five stars or whatever. That's good. That makes me feel good. If it was reversed and 80% said, you know, this is not entertaining. This is dull. I would feel bad, you know, because I, I haven't achieved my goal. So I guess I, you know, I, I I'm probably talking out of both sides of my mouth here saying that I don't care what other people think, but I do care what other people think. Um, you know, I want them to enjoy the work. And it goes. there's also a um, sort of a career aspect to it that I want the re- good reviews so that I'll continue to be able to um, publish books. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, it's quite the process. Um, so you, you're obviously, so you're not writing, um, you're writing for entertainment. You, you're not laying a um, some sort of uh, lesson or you're not trying to say something. Like when, when a person buys your book and reads it and when they walk away, you there, there's not something you want them to get out of it other than entertainment or is there more? Well, entertainment is my prime focus, but... Along with the entertainment, I think in each of my books, there's some sort of theme or message that's sort of underlying, and whether it's, uh, you know, technology run amok, or whether it's, uh, you know, politicians are bad, or there's something there. Uh, you know, I do want to provide as much depth and interest as I possibly can, as, but in, as long as I'm entertaining. So entertainment is foremost... But there's always some theme, some viewpoint that I'm trying to um, espouse. Not hit, not hitting someone on the head with it, but just sort of slipping in part of my worldview into my story. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So now, when things are going on in your life um, that are, um, let's say, stressful or, or heated, or even in the world, like how it is now, especially in the U.S. Does that affect your writing? Are you still able to write? And if you do still write, um, does it make your writing maybe darker? Well, um, I think, yeah. I mean, I think external factors, you know, have to in, in, um, you know, inform your writing in some fashion. I think I have to be pretty impervious to what's going on not to be affected in some way. When I, we just moved, we packed up our house and moved on at the end of January and we were without a home for three months, right in the middle of the beginnings of this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get a whole lot of writing done. Now, I don't know whether it was, uh, you know, it was too, too much an upheaval from the moving process and looking for, you know, house hunting and all that stuff or whether, you know, the stress of the pandemic and the uncertainty sort of, uh, affected my ability to get the words down on the, on the paper. Uh, in the past four or five weeks, I've been able to get back to my normal output levels. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I'm human like everybody else, and I think, you know, stuff is bound to affect my writing. Well, not to worry. I heard the pandemic was a hoax, so don't worry about it. 
<laughs> just, yeah. just, just move forward and don't worry about it. It's not real. It's, there's nothing. I thought you said you didn't. Uh, I thought you said you stepped to, to nonfiction. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to see here. There's nothing going on. Okay, you know, don't believe that stuff. It's just. Um, now, in your story, the 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 book here, like, um, I know where you sleep. Um, so. What's the primary story? Set that up so people kind of get an idea of what they're what they'd get if they pick up that book. Sure, sure. Well, that as I mentioned, uh, I've read a lot of Spencer, Private Eye Spencer, and I read some. I read um, uh, Robert Crace's Elvis Cole novels, and I really got into the whole um, Private Eye genre pretty heavily. And my first eight books didn't have any private eyes in them. Now, if you look carefully, a lot of my protagonists uh, act like a private eye might, but they were in various other forms of uh, employment and so on. So this is my very first private eye novel, and I'm very excited that uh, it came out. Uh, in it, sort of my little twist on things is, is the protagonist, um, Anderson West, he runs this little private eye agency, and his sister is involved. So he's more of your uh, prototypical private eye with the, you know, the moral code, but he's got to watch out so he doesn't lose his license, that kind of thing. Um, and his sister is the loose cannon, vigilante um, character. So together, they, this case that they work on is a, um, uh, a young lady is being stalked. So they employ their uh, talents to try to find out who the stalker is. Of course, um, Anderson West uses the traditional uh, private eye tool bag, while his sister is sort of freewheeling it a little bit. So not only does he have to try to solve the case, but he has to keep his sister under under uh, you know in check. Wow. So you're right. you, you, so you're sort of into. Um, you really like the old private eye sort of things. Do you like the old noir films and stuff too? Um, I've I've written a lot of noir, but it's mostly short stories because you know in in those noir short stories that I've written, um, the protagonist is usually a, you know a, a bad guy, and I don't think my psyche could handle writing you know. Four months writing a bad novel with that bad guy protagonist. So I've sort of taken the opportunity to write a lot of noir short stories. So right. I, yeah, I've watched some of the, the noir films. Probably not as ma not as many as uh, I should. I, I, there's never enough time to watch all watch all the movies and read all the books you want to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I understand you watch all the Rockford Files. So <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> re re rewriting all of his shows. That's it's. Oh, you know, you know. I saw something in today's um, in crime reads today. Jay Jay Kingston Smith, Jay Kingston Pierce, or Jay Kingston Pierce. I don't know. He wrote a piece about the the mystery wheel that sh that was on. I guess first on NBC, where it had the um, the, the rotating. This was back in the seventies. The rotating stories of. McLeod and Banachek and Columbo and McMillan and Wife and some of those stories. And that's what I was weaned on. I was weaned on all those 70s 
cop shows and detective shows and Rockford Files among them. And I find that, you know, when, I, when I'm writing a scene, I'll, I guess, sort of subconsciously draw some of those images or setups into my own writing. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. Oh, I agree. It has a huge influence. It has to. I mean, I, I grew up with the same, and I, I, I think the same way. Um, um, and maybe a little Perry Mason in there, too, right? So, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, now, are you yeah. going to – now, these – when you do a character, like when you did this, this new book, um, uh, this, this Andrew West, are you going to keep that character and write more books around that character? Uh, well, it's certainly set up to be a series. A lot of that depends on, as they say in the business, market considerations. So, you know, if the publisher wants another another book, then perhaps, you know, it sells it sells well. If the readers want to see another case with those characters, then possibly. Is that a wish you washy enough answer? Yeah. <laughs> do you see? Do you, I mean, would you be excited for that though? I mean, you would be. You would want to write more with these characters, right? Um, I would like. I, you know, I've set up a few of my manuscripts that could be series characters. So, yeah, I mean, I like the characters. I wouldn't mind writing more or writing new ones. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty flexible when it comes to what I want to work on. Yeah. So, what advice would you give to someone um, that's looking to write themselves? Um, well, you need to read a lot. So, I would say read, read a lot within your genre, but also read without, with you know, outside of your genre. Some, and you need to write a lot. You know, people. People say, and these people are these nebulous people that are they, you know, they say that you don't find your true voice until you've written a million words. I don't know if it's a million or 800,000 or whatever, but, you know, it took me a long time to kind of get, develop any confidence whatsoever in writing. And I'm not, again, I'm not sure I still feel fully confident in writing something. But, um, that read, read a lot, write, get, one of the most um, helpful things that I, I did was get, get involved with, a, with some critique groups pretty early on. And I found that to be invaluable because, you know, writers sometimes, sometimes can be way too close to um, what they've written. And, you know, sometimes just a, the simplest feedback can knock something loose in your head and you're like, oh, now I see. Now I totally see. You know, here's the solution to my problems. So, I think you know those are some things I'd start with as a beginning writer. Does recognition from other people like that, other writers or groups like that, is that is that sort of does it help? Does is it something you like? Uh, well, definitely the feedback is very important to me. I mean, I've been in the same writing group for ten years, and we've met monthly. Every year, every month we've met, and we haven't missed a month. And that's just invaluable um, continuity and feedback from a technical point of view. Um, you mentioned recognition. I don't know whether you're, you're talking about, like, award recognition for stuff, but that, 
that's more of an ego boost kind of thing, which also helps. You know, it's it's, it's not like writers get paid a lot of money to. Um, some do, but most probably don't get paid a lot of money to, to write their novels. So there are other incentives that help keep you keep you going, and uh, award recognition is one of them, for me anyway. Yeah, free Starbucks at the drive-through when they when they know who I am. <laughs> yeah. I, this, it, it tends to be more of a reward, because I, I, I find so many of these groups like Publisher Weekly and all this sort of stuff. It's sort of you almost have to get involved and be a part of it in order to get recognition. Like you don't if you're not part of any of those things. That you you can be ignored right through it. So Yeah, now that's another that's another um tip for beginning writers. If you are not plugged into a professional organization in your genre, I would su- I would suggest doing that. So I belong to Mystery Writers of America and International Thriller Writers and Sisters in Crime. And those are great for networking for learning sort of the business aspects certainly but there's plenty of craft workshops that they sponsor and there's they're, they're a great way to, to meet up with um, critique partners um, so I'd encourage and, and then every genre has has them you know there's a horror writers association there's science fiction writers association there's a romance writers association yeah you know? sex writers yeah. association <laughs> There's a, I'm sure there's an erotic fiction association. I, yeah. I think they, you have to be, I'm not even going to make a joke there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, John's a big part of that. I think he runs it. Oh, do I now? <laughs> yeah, you're the president. Uh, yeah, no, I just I I'm sort of mixed on them, but I I, I agree that they're 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 good to be a part of because if you're not, of course, you won't be brought into that circle so much so to speak but sometimes they irritate me as well so i'm i'm kind of mixed on them i'm i'm i don't know maybe i'm just a bitter well old. well a lot of them are going through some upheaval now um yeah. rightly so there's a lot of them have yes. been sort of run by the old old guard you know the old boy network yeah. and you know i think that needs to you know come up into the modern times. so um hopefully they'll end up Indeed. better than what they were yeah yeah. Time for change. <laughs> yeah, in a lot of ways. So that's just kind of how I, I, but, you know, like I said, I'm bitter. I'm angry. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm old. I've lost my hair. It just, it just doesn't end. It's like, dangerous when a, uh, a true crime writer gets bitter and angry. <laughs> I have some great ideas, I'll tell you. You don't want me calling you. Um <laughs> What what is your how do people get a hold of you? How do they? I I know you like to be stalked and and have people come around and do things. So how would they do that? I uh, well I have a website. You can send me send me emails if you have a specific question. I am fairly active on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter, and I do have an Instagram account, but I don't post there as much as I as I should. Um, I send out a, a newsletter. I, sh- I was going to say a periodic newsletter, but it's very erratic newsletter. Mm. So it goes out maybe twice a year, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And you can sign up for that on my website. And your website is. But I love, I love to, I love to get emails from people because it, I love to procrastinate. So please. Okay. And you want pictures as well? Uh, no. 
<laughs> That's the modern age, you know. Um, people oh. like to add pictures. Now your <laughs> yeah. Now your website is what alanorloff.com, right? Yes. Okay. Perfect. And actually, we'll have that up on our website, and then um, so people can do one click if they're listening and uh, want to find who you, who you, who you are and what books you have. And how many have you written now? Uh, I know where you sleep was my ninth. Wow. So so they're doing well. Each one does better for you. You find like you're still, um, and you still really like what you're doing. I like what I'm doing. Each book is a, is a challenge. You know, some people said, oh, well, you know, you've written nine. It must get easier. John, does it get easier? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> no. I, no. No. But then you have the, the expectations of the previous eight on your shoulders, and that all that weight makes it hard to type. Yeah. Well, and you just, yeah, well, you, I mean, you know, Alan just won that uh, last year, won the. A thriller award for Pray for the Innocent. So, but maybe you had re- written most of I Know Where You Sleep by then. I mean, I think it's hard once you've had an award or something like that, that recognition to, to then, I yeah. feel like, yeah. 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 Maybe. Well, I, I'm sure people that, uh, yeah, if, you, if you've, if they follow that and they're into this, they, they'll say, wow, you know, he's won. So they'll look forward to your next book. And so, there is that. And be sorely uh, disappointed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. No. No, and it, yeah, I agree. It doesn't get easier. It, it's not going to get easier. Uh, putting it together might be because you get used to doing that. But um, for me, yeah. I don't... I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what is different, Alan, and you may have found the same thing. Now I know I'm very confident that I will be able to finish, finish something. And I know pretty much how long it's going to take me. Um, whether or not it's good or not, is not quite the same. You know, I'm not quite as confident. But I know that I'm going to sit down and in four months I'm going to have a rough draft and in two more months I'll have it edited because I've done it plenty of times. Yeah. Kind of the experience comes with it. But, it, it yeah, I, I agree totally. But, uh, wow. Well, this is pretty interesting. Um I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and, ta- and taking the time to talk to us. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, very informative for people that are into writing and uh, and uh, very important. Um, uh, your latest book is I Know Where You Sleep, and our guest has been the author, Alan Orloff. Thank you for being here. Orloff, thank you for being here. Well, I... Alan, thanks so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope we can do it again sometime. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! How dare you? You're lying to me. I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www. 
houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.